0: The future of business is responsible. El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. Conscious commingling of growth and impact. Son ye de guaylitzai y simbiopintan. Le futur du business est conscient et responsable. Vyapar ka bhaveshh vigatnakari aur tikau hai.
1: The future of business is intentional and transparent. De toekomst van bedrijven zal de combinatie van conscious. Welcome to season four of Future of Business, where we take you on a journey to explore the diverse range of sectors and stories embedded in the Oxford MBA cohort and beyond, and how they will shape the future of business. My name is Bartek Oganovsky, and I will be hosting our conversation today with Mish and our co-president of the MBA Class 2022. Mish, living in South Africa for most of your life, and now for the past three years living in Oxford, tell us a little bit about your background and how you actually ended up in this seat with me today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Bart. Yeah, proudly South African, as you know. I um, was born in 1985 in, in Durban, South Africa. Uh, my career, I think, was launched with the help of a bursary scheme by UI, Ernst & Young. Um, so studied at the University of Cape Town. I really enjoyed my studies there. And I think just on reflection, I was reflecting on this today uh, with some of our classmates, just how, just how high quality, um, the material, the teaching, the lecturing, um, was and the interactions with my peers at the University of Cape Town was so set me up quite nicely to to engage on a on a world platform um, with confidence, and I think from, from the University of Cape Town, I again my career was quite diverse. Um, mm-hmm. I was given the opportunity to study uh, the business science program, and again special concession to study three of the business science streams, um, so finance CA, finance non CA, and economics honors. Um, really grateful that I was given that concession again because it, it allowed me that opportunity to really think broadly um, and yeah, to apply sure. my skills in, in different facets of the business world. Um, interestingly, I think I mentioned I was born in 1985, so I started playing rugby in, in 1994 and uh, in
1: 1995 it was a big yeah, uh, big year
0: time. for us uh, mm-hmm. winning the, the World Cup. And that, I suppose, it'll be a nice segue to the rest of our conversation, but it made me appreciate the ability of sports, the power of sports to transform society and unite people.
1: No, awesome. And I think that leads on nicely to, I guess, what the topic of our conversation is going to be. So um, it sounds like sports has been a part of your life from a young age, and I think that really can mold an individual into the way of thinking and teamwork and, you know, inclusivity. Um and I think really why we want to what we want to focus on today and for those listening, Mission's got a really interesting background. He spent a few years working with the Formula One team. Yes, the real, real Formula One team, Mercedes Benz. And um I guess what we're gonna to try to focus on today is your journey towards, you know, into the F one, how you got in, some of your cool stories around it, and maybe for all our viewers today, just to give a bit of like how they're trying to transform into this new this new age and new world. So Firstly, I mean, how did you get into Formula 1? I mean, that sounds like something that's, you know, everyone's dream or every person that's interested in its dream. So tell us a little bit about about that process.
0: Yeah, so I um, arrived in the UK in August 2018, followed my wife, Rashania here. Um, She's a medical doctor and was working at Guy's Hospital in central London. Um, And soon after we arrived, she... She decided that she'd like to study at the University of Oxford, so she applied to study her MSc in International Health and Tropical Medicine. Um, yeah, she, she got in very soon after application, and our world was thrown into a mm-hmm. uh, bit of a whirlwind where, again, I, we, we didn't know where, when we were leaving, how we were going to get there. We didn't really think past that application stage. Um, and I had had a really a strong relationship with Robert Walters more especially Helen Swithinbank at Robert Walters um, shared the, the good news about Roshania's acceptance into the University of Oxford um, hung up the phone and received a call back almost immediately from Helen uh, to ask me whether I'd be looking for a job in Oxford um, I, I, I hadn't even thought that far at that stage uh, but said yep I probably will be looking for a job Helen and I'll be relying on you to help me um, she hung up and literally that afternoon called me and says, "Well, she she knew that I'm a big petrol head. She knew that I'm a big sport fan. Um, and then she said she had the perfect role for me, and that was the a finance business partner role at the Mercedes Formula One team. Uh, yeah, heard that, uh, ears was parked off. Massive smile on my face. Still, I still have a massive smile on my face just thinking about it, reminiscing about it. And, uh, I wish yeah. you
1: could all see the big smile on Mish's <laughs> face when he's reminiscing on this Formula
0: One back in the day. But yeah, yeah that's just, just the sentiment of a role. I'm, again, so grateful for people like Helen um, having supported my career. Mm. Um, just, you know, goosebumps and, and butterflies and stuff, thinking about it all. And I get just so much gratitude for, had it not been for her, again, wouldn't have ordinarily known about the role, wouldn't even have been thinking that far. I hadn't had a car at that stage because Rashania and I, my wife and I, were living in central London. Mm. Um, so I had to catch a train from London Bridge Station to Milton Keynes Central. One of the Robert Walters team collected me at Milton Keynes Central, drove me an hour to the Mercedes Formula One factory in Brackley, um, went in there, what I consider unprepared because I remember it so clearly I was busy with the month-end process, finance month-end process for my previous employer, and uh yeah left work at seven um basically got to the mercedes formula one factory about quarter to nine and uh, was so apologetic to uh, the lady michaela watts who was meeting me uh at the factory uh, for my first interview uh again i was so tired um really stressed about this interview um and it, it was such a comfortable interview michaela was just so accommodating i was surprised that she was willing to wait for me for that long and um I mean, she did. We had a, a really casual, easy conversation. It was very much just trying to assess um, who I was as, as a person. Uh, she gave me great opportunities to uh, to gain insight into the Mercedes Formula One team and the various personalities I'd be working with. Um, so as a finance business partner, there were three at that stage. The business was carved into profit or cost centers. Um, and, and my role would, again, be taking the, quite a big chunk of those profit and cost centers away from Michaela um, who was going to be the head of finance business partnering or head of financial planning and analysis and uh, yeah it was it was really exciting to hear all of these eccentric personalities that I'd be working with and again people would be in working in Formula 1 for generations so as a Formula 1 fan especially yeah. and it was just very exciting yeah very very nice I guess
1: one point I want to go back on I mean it's mm-hmm. an important point you mentioned um you know, yet you were born in South Africa, and you were born in nineteen eighty five, and kind of you know, starting sports at a time where just post-apartheid era in South Africa, and and we we started becoming very inclusive, and we started having this notion of a rainbow nation. Yeah. How did that mindset influence, you know, your your approach into diversity and inclusion in Formula One, and as soon as you got into the organisation? Maybe let's talk about that for a little bit.
0: Yeah, sure. I think what was apparent walking into the team is that as amazing as everyone was, they, they looked very similar. And then you start to delve into why, or I started to ask the question why, um, not not to my colleagues, but just getting to know them. So I made a point of um, sitting at the hub. So the the canteen at Mercedes Formula One is called The Hub. And I would sit just with different people and get to know them. And, and I learned that Again, for generations, people have been working for the Mercedes Formula One team. You know, it used to be known by, by various other names. Um, and there'd been this family loyalty and this family heritage and pedigree um, with the Mercedes Formula One team. But again, being South African, I'm acutely aware of how much, especially diversity of perspective, beliefs, values, uh, adds to the conversation in, in a positive way. I wouldn't even call it a positive externality. It's, it's just a direct implication for improving the quality of decision-making. It's a necessity. It's a necessity. It's a necessity. Sure. And and I wondered, you know, I, was, I always wondered, how, how is it that this team then is so successful, they were you know, six times world, was it five times world champions at that stage when I entered. Um, you know, how, how is it that you have it was challenging my my perspective on diversity and inclusion do you really need a diverse workforce and diverse perspectives um, if mercedes amg petronas formula 1 uh, mm-hmm. can continue to win without that demographic without that diversity um,
1: so, so how did you i mean how did you try i don't really use the word challenge but how did you try to address some of this and bring it up i mean in an early in early phase and we call it di drives at, at Formula One. How did you you know t- t- go through that process?
0: Very lucky to have had uh, Lewis creating a lot of tra- traction in the industry, uh, in the world. And for the those North who aren't
1: Asia. sure, Lewis is Lewis Hamilton. The real Lewis Hamilton, <laughs> not <laughs> another Lewis that's in the Mercedes team.
0: Yeah, so Lewis Hamilton. Um, he, he was, again, I think COVID, um, George Floyd being murdered, uh, just ignited a spark uh, in, in many individuals uh, and grateful again I've been using the word grateful gratitude words a lot but really grateful that it did uh, inspire Lewis to, to, to drive this cause in, in a very personal way um, mm-hmm. and then it, it allowed, it gave people like me an opening to, to start to, to voice these concerns in, in a bit more of a comfortable space if I can call it that um, so, again, I, I was uh, very vocal in trying to, to form or establish the first Diversity and Inclusion Committee. And very lucky that Paul Mills, the HR director, um, and Jackie, the talent manager at Mercedes Formula One, were, were very, again, receptive to hearing this, and it became a topic of conversation. And, and very quickly, we had the first Diversity and Inclusion Committee and it was again. Paul would call me into his office. Jackie would consult. Um, and it was it was uh, you know it's it's cliched, but Formula One is very fast-paced. <coughs> um, so often conversations I had around the water cooler or in the corridor, or in the kitchen, yeah. and and decisions are made literally on that basis. Quality decisions, so not just haphazard decisions, but because people are working so fast, um, common, yeah, decisions are made in those environments. Um, so yeah, we we. Thought about how we would structure the the diversity and inclusion committee um, what the purpose would be um, how much power the diversity and inclusion committee would have to influence bigger decisions and from that stemmed this stem academy mm-hmm. so it was the mulberry schools trust partnered with the mercedes formula one team um, to forge a stem academy the the premise of the stem academy is that very many people were not exposed. If you have this, as amazing as this uh, generational involvement in Formula One and and in teams is, it also acts as a barrier to underrepresented groups and uh, disadvantaged groups um, from from breaking into the Formula One industry. Um, So the STEM Academy was a way for the Mercedes Formula One team to give people from the Mulberry Schools Trust so students from there, um, the opportunity to be exposed to Formula One as mu- as much as um, the the school children at these schools were performing well above the national averages, both academically and in terms of where they positioned themselves in industry. Um, after they they graduated and went through the schooling system, they weren't they weren't breaking into STEM careers for whatever reason. Yeah. And we wanted to make sure that it wasn't due to a lack of exposure. So we gave them exposure. I mean, they, they met with Lewis and Toto. They, they were partnered with uh, mentors in engineering. Um, oh, it's nice. so a real
1: tangible that. impact that you, you could see. I mean, it was visible and actually meeting people and getting exposure to that, which is, which is really awesome. How is that STEM Academy, I mean, is it currently still going well and do you have any sort of oversight of it at the moment?
0: Yeah it, it's still still running very successfully interestingly I also got to work with the University of Oxford at the same time um, so by virtue of Rashania, my wife being a Green Templeton student Green Templeton College is a college at the University of Oxford and um, I yeah, was, was very vociferous uh, about the University of Oxford needing to up its game and, and make certain improvements in how it handled diversity and inclusion. Um, so at the same time that the STEM Academy was initiating and and starting to, to engage with the Marbury Schools Trust, or at least the, the children of the Marbury Schools Trust, um, I was also trying to work out, work out why um, kids from underrepresented backgrounds and who performed above average, well above the, the national averages, were not and despite aspiring to to enter into Russell Group universities like the University of Oxford, mm-hmm. we're not breaking into the University of Oxford. Was was it a cultural thing? Was it that interviewers aren't aware that different cultures present differently in interviews? Yeah. Uh, so, for example, you know perhaps um, a, a young female from a certain culture doesn't look an older male in the eyes when she talks uh, to him. Um, because it's just, you know, culturally, it's it's a show of respect, of, you know. And, um, again, are, are University of Oxford interviewers aware of this, and do they uh, measure it appropriately? So, again, I was I was very much... Prof. Denise uh, Livesley was the former GTC principal, and I very much had a platform with the University of Oxford at the same time awesome. and in the collegiate system. So I, I've been now tracking it since then to try to understand what can be done on the receiving end of these uh, school children so once they've had the exposure on Formula 1 to what a STEM career means at the pinnacle of engineering in in Formula 1 what it means to be a female in in engineering at Mercedes Formula 1 what the different types of engineering or STEM careers I mean engineering is not the only Um, there's also the the SIM uh, the famous Mercedes Formula 1 SIM uh, most recently SIM 6 um, where you have, I think it's um, 16 projectors projecting as lifelike a, a track environment as you can. Um, you know, that that's also engineers um, who operate that, but it's not working with materials as such. It's working to <coughs> simulate what it means to drive a Formula One car and get a lot of data from that. So exposing um, these, these school tro- children, pairing them with mentors, actually taking them through master classes in engineering, and then, again, hoping that they then apply to the University of Oxford and, and sister universities. And now my focus has been on when they do apply, how are the systems changing to ensure that they get those acceptance letters or what are we doing at a university level to ensure that um, they that the interview process helps coach them through um, whatever they need, however they need to improve.
1: Oh, that's that's fascinating to hear. So, thanks for that mission. Mm. I think it's important to note. I mean, we sit here, we're currently sitting at the Side Business School in the beautiful, you know, embedded in the University of Oxford. Tell us a little bit about why the University of Oxford looked like where it's located, why it's so relevant to Formula One.
0: Yeah, so uh, it's just south of Silverstone, the iconic Silverstone uh, racetrack, and just around, I believe it's 30 miles, so in a 30 mile radius of Oxfordshire. You have Mercedes Formula 1, Alpine Formula 1, which is the former Renault Formula 1, Aston Martin Racing, Williams, uh, McLaren, and Red Bull. Oh, wow. um, so it's, it's really, uh, you know, Michael Porter would call it related industries. Uh, it's really this mm. close close network of related <coughs> industries that supports Formula 1. And again, there, there are a few universities around the, mm. the UK is not short on universities and high-quality universities. Sure but obviously the University of Oxford is just down the road from all of these iconic Formula 1 teams.
1: That's awesome, and I think that's a fact that I just certainly didn't know, and I'm many of our listeners wouldn't have known that. So that's really cool. We mentioned Drive to Survive, I mean, the Netflix TV show, which a lot of people that I know who never even knew what Formula 1 was are now the biggest fans. And, I mean, a lot of those stories that are embedded within that, that series. Yeah. Sh- short answer, I mean... How true is all of that? Let's not get into too much detail, but yeah. is it true that what you see in the Netflix series is what goes on behind the scenes?
0: Yeah, I think uh, the Drive to Survive series uh, almost perfectly encapsulates the day-to-day drama that is Formula One.
1: Awesome. So for all those Netflix fans out there and all the new Formula One fans, it's uh, it's very true. you hear from from Mission's mouth. Um Alright, so now like I guess leading into side business school, you you now as as mentioned earlier, you're the co president of the current MBA cohort. The past few years in you know, in the Formula One well, you focused a lot of it on diversity and inclusion. I mean, how has the DR element, you know, shifted your mindset now?
0: Well. Yeah, I think you know, I, I mentioned that I've always appreciated the power of sport to unite people and, and transform society. I think now more than ever There've been so many global catastrophes that have impacted the world, and, and especially the people who, um, who need assistance the most. Yeah. Um, so so my focus is on trying to, you know, in the next two thousand of my career, I, I'd love to be able to use um, sports to leverage sport at a more strategic level in an organisation, sure. Um, to to unite people, and to to transform society. In, in ways that don't leave behind uh, people. That's what sometimes does. Um, and uh, yeah, I think more especially from a diversity and inclusion perspective. Um, I think I realize again. I, you know, I mentioned that I was trying to question, or I, I was I for I was forced to question by the by the Mercedes Formula One team only being three percent diverse. Whether diversity is is needed in the world, mm. and it's so important. Uh, you know, speaking to professor bob kaplan about uh the balanced scorecard yeah and i again the side business school gave me that platform to ask one of the world's leading experts uh. the guy who came up with the balanced scorecard sure. um you know he says that you know you basically people in or respect what you inspect so if you come up with uh with the right metrics you can drive change you can drive improvement and if you have the wrong metrics if you're measuring the wrong things or you're Analyzing you or your what you measure in the wrong ways, then you're almost destined to fail. And I think what I'm really interested to to leverage in my time at the at the University of Oxford and at the more especially in my MBA is to try to understand how we can measure diversity and inclusion uh, better. I suppose is the best word that I can think of. Um, at the moment, I think we measure things like nationality. We measure things like um, age. We measure things like uh, how many women are, are in the class by percentage, um, but I think that there's a level level deeper that we can go in analysing quality of you women's involvement in the class, for example. Um, <coughs> and yeah, and I think the Mercedes Formula One team again forced me to question that quality, and and now I'm hoping to extend on that in the more academic space.
1: So to to kind of sum it up without sounding too cliche driving change in a fast-paced environment and that's technically what, what you, your mission is for and excuse the pun with your name mission but mission's mission <laughs> is to drive change in a fast-paced world yep. which di- directly related to his past. I think some interesting news that came up quite recently is that um, Toto Wolf as you mentioned his name a few times mm-hmm. he's actually going to be you know, part of the business school and, and, may, and the news was announced all over social media about two, uh, two three days ago Perhaps you could just maybe touch a little bit on that, what that means to to you, what that means to the business school, Mm -hmm. and how relevant that is for us right now, and how relevant this podcast actually is at the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, so just for those of you who don't know, Toto is the CEO uh, team principal and the third owner of the Mercedes Formula One team. He's someone that I look up to a lot, especially in terms of how to be a successful entrepreneur, um, how to manage cultures of organizations in, in adversity. Um, and adversity and how to be an incredible uh, prolific public speaker. Uh, you know he, He's one of those guys that you can put in front of a mic and rely on him uh, making a crowd laugh, engaging people um, and just saying the right things. Um, so yeah, what it means for me, I, I'm very excited uh, to, to engage with him. Uh, reached out to him, uh, again, after hearing the news. Uh, I think from the business school perspective, it's it's a controversial sport because it's not the greenest sport. Lots of kit is air freighted around the world from country to country. Um, again, it's still hybrid technology, so combustion engines are still used in the, in the vehicles. That's Formula One, not Formula E. So the Mercedes Formula One team has been... Uh, winning and has come under flak for for winning and the sport not being competitive as a result. Um, so new financial and technical regulations were uh, instituted at the beginning of twenty twenty one to try to make the sport more uh, exciting. And Toto takes this on. You know he he could have been a leader that pushed back against it, but he, he you know he he embraces challenge. Um, so yes, you know almost like come at me. You you want to make sure. the sport more exciting? I'm all for that. I'm all for. Uh, Great competition, so let's make it more exciting. But we're not, you know, we're gonna uh, do our best uh, to put on a good show for fans uh, who are ultimate consumer. And we're also gonna do ourselves proud in how we compete. So I think that's everything that um, all of us uh, need to hear, uh, especially as MBA students.
1: And I think the past few days, all the SBS uh, MBA students have had this very excited look in their faces, very excited to meet Mr. Toto Wolf. And I think what he will bring to us is really this. Change in mindset, fast-paced energy, which we all, you know, we all come from a very ambitious, we're all ambitious and want to do as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're just really excited to hear more of that. So, all right. But, yeah, mission, I think that's that's all we have time for today. I'm really excited to continue this conversation. Yes, Maybe just one closing remark that encapsulates mm-hmm. your your message and your mission for, for the next year.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I mentioned how much the world has been through um, over, you know, just the past few years. And I just would like to implore everyone to, uh, I mean, the world needs us now more than ever. I've said it a few times to you. And, uh, I, you know, I'd like to implore everyone to think about how we can leave a positive impact, not in the future, but in, in every action that we take and every interaction that we have. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my closing remark. That's what I hope to do and aspire to do. Um, and uh, more especially for aspiring um, Oxford MBA candidates, it's the place to be. Uh, yeah, it's been such a what are we eight weeks in. Um, it's been an unbelievable eight weeks, and I'd say back yourself. I, I know that I had <coughs> to receive a lot of encouragement from my wife to even apply. Um, you know, I didn't back myself to get in here, but, but now I am here. And I'd say just back yourself to go through the application process, and more especially, uh, to to make the changes that the world needs us to make.
1: Awesome! Fellow listeners, thanks for tuning in today. That's Mission Chetty, South African living in Oxford, and his drive to succeed. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Cheers.